0: Global Broadcasting Networks presents Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every strong soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over 5 seasons, with 3 million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. We're here to share resources and experts on topics important to you, the military family. Join us. We've got another great episode starting right now. Here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey,
1: military moms, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Robin Boyd, and this is Military Mom Talk Radio. And we're going to talk about something today that's, I don't know if it's near and dear to my heart, but it never seems to leave. <laughs> we're going to talk about stress. We're going to talk about resetting your stress and how to make stress work for you with Dr. Kristen Lee Costa. And Rob, I could not be any more stressed today.
0: Well, you know, I we could. all feel it. Well, we could. But, you know, I think so many times we uh, do get overwhelmed in a day. We get um, o- uh, overworked in a day. Too many things get at us. And who hasn't when you're balancing the things that we all do in our day-to-day lives? Uh, all of us do. Um, there, There is time when we really have to say something's got to give, something has to give, or How do we choose what has to give, and how do we get through it? And I'm so glad that we have Dr. Chris on, that's going to help us uh, sort of sort those things out and make those choices.
1: Yeah, because the the you know I'm really good at tolerating I think high levels of stress on a good day, but it's the unexpected stresses like you know um, I have a $900 car repair my engine mount my engine fell out of my van um, mm. on Friday and you know Rob I was like first of all I, I gotta say I'm really grateful because it didn't happen while I was going 80 miles an hour on the freeway on it the was highway yeah yeah. I mean it would, could have been you know fatal for everybody I was turning mm. into the library to pick up the kids from school but where my car broke down was at the juncture in our town where the middle school is and I have to say like probably 30 people pulled over cause I had my hood up cause I couldn't figure out why my engine yeah. was like sliding to the side and they're like, are you okay? Do you need some help? And you know, and I appreciate it. But by the 25th person, I was like, no i don't need any help i just want to stand on the side of the road in 100 degree heat with grease on my skirt you know it just it was not one of my better days and i had to, get to the halloween dance and we got halloween but i will say i'm going to do a shameless plug for enterprise rent a car they are the only rental car company that i could find that would come pick me up
0: They do, and we might as well just give them a good plug because we have them all the way over here on our neck of the woods as well over on the East Coast. And, yep, they are there for you, and they are reasonable, and they are so dependable. So, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, we love you
1: they did and you know they they the, first of all they picked me up you know and I had kids and I had all my soccer stuff I'm like you know I had two chairs this the the rolling cart you know that I carried my dad's stuff in and mm. you know, I couldn't have had more stuff and I needed it for tomorrow so I couldn't you know and sure. I'm like please don't show up with some little egg that I can't stuff you know everything <laughs> in and you know they got there and and, um, i
0: got to tell you something funny, sand We talk about size and, and accommodating you. Um, I went and I had to rent a car. I had to be someplace. Our car was similarly in the shop. And the guy, we go through all the paperwork, and he gives me the keys, and I go in the car. And you've met me, sand I'm four foot eight inches tall, this little tiny midget. Well, they gave me this sporty kind of car that had a bucket seat. And honest to God, I couldn't <laughs> even see through through the steering wheel. And I walked back, and he says, is everything okay, Mrs. Boyd? And I said, No, I can't see out of the the dashboard. And he went all through the lot. And he found me an old lady car that I could see out of. So (laughs) but it was that they are very accommodating.
1: Yeah, they were. They were. And, you know, and it was like that, that, you know, there were so much, so many kindnesses afforded to me, you know, even like, because I started to cry in the middle of the car place, you know, when they said, oh, it's going to be $911. And I'm like, really, just 911, not
2: 912.
1: But you know, those (laughs) unexpected things, you know, and it's funny, because Rob, I don't know if you're this way. At the time, like I had, you know, I was supposed to pick up other kids. I was responsible for picking up my kids from two different schools. We had to get to soccer. We had to get the other ones to the dance. Like there couldn't be any more moving parts for me. And yeah. I just like picked up the phone and I called all these people. I'm like, you need to pick up my kid. You need to do this. You need to drive this. You need to do that. Pick these kids up. Take them. Yeah. Yep. And,
0: and he handled it until it was done. And then. Yeah. And then.
1: Well, yeah, it was only Sunday afternoon that I just, like, I started to cry on the way to the grocery store, you know, and I don't know, is it delayed? Like, that's why I want to ask Dr. Chris, like, I know a lot of our military families are trained in resiliency, as I am, and trained in emergency procedures, get that, get that, but then fall apart later, you know, I'm like crying over the bananas.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. So that that's actually, you know, a very, very common response. And in particular, as you said, when you have that training and resilience and You know, you've sort of been briefed in how to go through crisis. You know, in mental health, we are really trained in that area. And a lot of times you're able to diffuse the situation or rely on humor. And then all of a sudden later on, it's almost like when you put your brakes on your car and everything from the back seat flies to the front. You know, it just kind of clobbers you and it can hit you. And that's absolutely a very natural thing that we can experience.
1: So that was Dr. Chris, for any of you who are wondering, because she made such good sense out of everything. Dr. Chris, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what we're going to talk about today?
3: Well, first of all, Sandra and Robin, it's great to be here. And one of the things I've been really looking forward to is sharing with your audience because through the years I've worked as a behavioral therapist, I've been in mental health uh, my whole career really for over 20 years. And you know, I've just seen the incredible stories, you know, the strength and the resilience, but also, you know, the, the difficulty in terms of the uncertainty and the unknown and, you know, the trauma associated uh, with, with you know, worry about loved ones and, and just everything that comes in between that. So um, right now I also teach at Northeastern University where I'm the lead faculty for behavioral sciences and really all of my life's work, both in the therapy and the classroom, revolves around, around helping support resilience. And as we've been talking about, you know, ways to cope with the everyday flat tire and the difficulty with our car, all the way to serious trauma and loss. You know, what is it that we can do to be proactive and engage in behaviors that can just help us, you know, not only manage but also thrive
0: well, there's also, I'm sure, the threshold of we can deal with the little things, and, and not that a $900 car repair is, is little, but it's something and then something else and then something else, and the, the camel, uh, the hair that broke the camel's back to, uh, type of thing comes along. Where do we find that resilience when all of a sudden the last straw happens and we just can't take any more? And, you know, it's
3: a great question. And one of the things that we call it clinically is clustering, you know, and we all know that in life, we don't just have, you know, like a linear process with our problems, like one thing happens, and then we solve it, and we move through, it's usually just chaos and messiness. And so to your question, one of the most important things to sort of put in our our wheelhouse of tricks or, you know, tools, is being able to do something called perspective taking, and that's really just a fancy way of saying, you know, when we're in the throes of that and we've had that last straw break our back, so to speak, you know, we might just need to buy a little bit of time. And, you know, we can't solve it when we're really keyed up. But what we can do is say we're going to, you know, engage in some behaviors, some some different things we can talk about today around self-care that can actually Help us get to that next step, which is known as a secondary appraisal. So that's a fancy way of saying, you know, once we kind of come around and we've had a little time, we can then find the resources that we have both inside of ourselves and outside of ourselves that can actually, you know, just make us feel stronger again and, and more capable of problem solving what's at hand.
0: Mm hmm i th- I think so many times that having that reserve is is logical but but having being ready for it i I guess it's sort of like you're when you take uh karate and you take one form of martial art and you might take a couple of lessons and they sort of give you the the little moves and the and the stances and the logic of it. But when it hits you, when somebody comes up behind you, are you ready to do it without even thinking, without even flinching? Um, And we do have a a commercial break coming up. But I guess that's my question for you, Dr. Chris, is how do we sort of practice and practice and practice so that it becomes second nature that we know we're going to be able to handle the stress? It, it, I love it. I love just what
3: you said. Practice. We have to institute practices in our daily routines and make it as, you know, natural as brushing our teeth and putting our feet on the floor in the morning. You know, um, if, we're, if we're not doing that, we might find ourselves in trouble when, when stor- a storm hits or when trouble hits. So it really is about discovering the things that help us to decompress our stress that we notice that give us anchoring and moments of difficulty. And, you know, again, particularly, you know, think of all the anxiety that comes for families as, you know, when they have loved ones serving overseas, right? For example, sure. you know, there's so much anxiety in that. And like we've said, just in the day to day grind, never mind the big stuff. And so it's starting with starting small, you know, starting with habits that we can institute. And then building off of that. And what I find, you know, in my work as a behavioral therapist is, and, and as a researcher as well, is sometimes when we start chipping away and we make slow, steady, incremental gains and we make progress, sometimes one change will lead to almost like a domino, you know, like a domino effect. It, it leads to a whole bunch of other different Uh, positive outcomes and positive behaviors that we can implement as well. So that's the beauty of it is that sometimes it seems overwhelming, like, okay, you know, you're talking about all these things. I don't have an inch to spare. I don't have room to breathe. How am I going to do all this stuff? But ultimately, we want to just chip away and start to discover little key pieces that that are realistic and manageable that we can put into place each day.
0: And I guess sometimes we need those affirmations. I know so many times it's just, even if it means a few minutes to just go stand in in the bathroom and... Um, recomb my hair, or or just uh, maybe put on some lipstick, or or just wash your face and just have that moment. You have to give permission to yourself to have those. Uh, we're going to a commercial break, Dr. Chris. We're with Dr. Kristen Lee Costa today. She's lead faculty for behavioral sciences at Northeastern University, a beautiful area of Boston, and we are so glad she's with us today. Stay tuned. We've got her for the rest of the hour. We've got lots more ahead. Stay with us on Military Mom Talk Radio.
4: Have you heard?
5: God in Country, the collision of faith and politics, hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer, and founder of the internationally regarded Executive Protection Team. Dr. Sean holds a bachelor's degree in biblical counseling and master's and doctorate degrees in theology, and is currently pursuing a doctorate in ministry with a Hebrew worldview focus. Through his counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. Join host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Dr. Sean Michael Greener every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on this radio network.
0: We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. welcome back everyone. We're so glad you're with us today and we are so pleased that Dr. Kristen Lee Costa is with us. She's lead faculty for behavioral science at Northeastern University and a licensed independent clinical social worker. She is also the author of Reset, Make the Most of Your Stress. And Dr. Chris, let's talk a little bit about your book, uh, Reset. Uh, that sort of means to uh, do do over. <laughs> Can we actually give ourselves a little do-over in life, and and how do we make the most of our stress? Absolutely, Robin. We can we can do
3: do-overs every minute of the day, and sometimes we need to
0: reset. <laughs>
3: Love is, it. Is, it's so true. Reset is about recalibration, and it, recalibration is a fancy way just to think about what is it that we need to do to kind of stop, hit that reset button, look at again what's happening around us. And how we can navigate it thoughtfully. And it's really based on a model of self-care that I developed back in 2008 in my clinical practice. I've had the privilege of working with, you know, just all kinds of folks from different walks of life and circumstances. But the universal thing that I was seeing over the years that really binds people together is that stress can be very harmful. You know, it can cost us our health. And in some cases, it can cost us our lives. And what I noticed is that when folks are in a situation where there's a lot happening, you know, in their lives, they often put their self-care on the back burner. And Reset is about helping you to put it back in the forefront of your mind to keeping it always in mind, you know, that it's it's something you have right at your fingertips to use and to draw upon through simple stress and then through more complex stress as well.
0: I think so many times there are some things that we can handle. Maybe we did something that wasn't quite right and we need to apologize for it and just come forward and make it right, make it so as, as it were. Um, and then there are the things that um, we don't have much control over when um, somebody – leave, say, in a divorce situation. We, we, there's, there's probably not much we can do about that person leaving. And that then topples everything else around us that we thought we were on top of. Um, what are some of the strategies that you are recommending for those people who are faced with some of the things that we may not have control over?
3: Well, Robin, one of the things when we think about reset and just, again, the name of it, it helps us to move from a place of being stuck to resilient. But we know that when we're facing complex issues, whether it's loss or trauma or a huge adjustment that we might be going through or really sad or hard news, those are moments that are so difficult. Or it might even be A relationship. You know, we can't get someone sort of to budge or, you know, to change behavior that's become really problematic for them or for us. And I think those moments challenge all of us to the core. Because in adult life, a lot of times, the way we cope is to develop structure and routines and to control things. You know, control can be a really helpful mechanism for us to organize our thinking and just to set ourselves up in a way where we can function well. But as you suggest, there's things that come right around the corner and just hit us. And that is all the more case for self-care, for saying these are things I need to do to stay anchored down before something hits, but also when something happens to help us cope and to move through the process of grieving and adjusting and coping. If we just kind of go through it haphazardly, what i found in my own personal and professional experiences that you know you think of a wound you know if if you take care of it and it gets stitched properly and you and you take care of it the scar is going to be there but it's going to be a better outcome than if you know it wasn't properly healed and part of our healing process around when things hit us out of our control is taking the time to nurture ourselves to be thoughtful about our self-care routines To really, and I can get into the reset model, the ways in which we can connect with other folks for help, how we can reach out and find the resources that we need, that just, you know, people to walk with us in those dark moments step by step, because that loss of control sometimes can be almost as unsettling as the loss itself.
0: For mm-hmm. the challenge and I think so many times we are hesitant to reach out, and I think it is so true. there are times that we need to reach out to a, a counselor or a therapist or a neighbor or our minister or a priest there there 's no rule that says we have to walk this life alone, and there are certainly times when um, when we feel as though we're alone, but that's when we have to be sort of proactive in our own lives, as you say, taking care of us, and reach out and take someone's hand and someone's guidance. And, and that's where that re- reset opportunity happens, I guess.
3: that That's exactly right. When we think about being stuck, oftentimes is the case is that we're ruminating. We're kind of letting a lot of things rent space in our head. Sometimes we feel very isolated in those moments, like no one else would understand, or we might even feel stigmatized, you know, I shouldn't feel this way, or I should think about it in a different way. And really, when we reach out to one another, what binds us is that most any emotion, you know, I've been in this field a long time, as I've suggested, is a natural response to what's happening in our lives and in our environments. And again, I think it's difficult when we're stewing in it and we're marinating in the stress and the anxiety that comes with difficult circumstances if we just hide out. And again, I think when those emotions bubble up, we feel sometimes embarrassed to say it to someone else. But the great news is we're in a context where the understanding, and I think, again, particularly for military families, the understanding is there on how the different layers of trauma that some, someone can experience and, and just the uncertainty and what that does to us psychologically and emotionally, making, again, a stronger case for us saying, we've got to reach out. We can't go in this alone. This is too heavy. It's too tough. And, and reaching out and not staying stuck is a huge part of being able to reset and find our way through tough moments.
0: And I think that's so true with our military families. Our, our military, uh, those that, who are back home, are saying, "Oh, we're supposed to be brave. We're supposed to be strong. We're supposed to be um, the model of of strength." And that's just um, un, unacceptable or, or uh, unreasonable. We we really do need to take care of ourselves and find that strength. I love your expression of a, of uh, anxiety being a frenemy. And let's talk a little bit about, uh, we've all had those frenemies uh, in real life. And, and I love the, um, the personification of, of that concept. How can it be our, our frenemy?
3: A lot of people have that same surprise and that same chuckle that you just had when it comes to that. And first, just on your earlier point about strength, I want to emphasize that strength is about reaching out and admitting vulnerability and, and maybe what someone would perceive as weakness. Strength is really when we can say, you know, we're a little bit over our head here and we need we need support. We need to find our way. So I think that's really important for folks to think about. And in a similar way, this whole idea about anxiety being our frenemy is that, you know, let's say you're in a situation where you're stuck and you're not feeling so strong and you're stewing in a lot of difficult emotions that can be extremely anxiety provoking. And certainly that's not going to be comfortable. You know, when we're experiencing difficulty, we're not comfortable and we want to find our way out of it as quickly as possible. Right. Yeah. But if you think about what I just said, that anxiety can actually propel us forward. It can, cause us to have the impetus to want to change our circumstances. If we know we're down, then we're going to have to say, well, what's the antidote to this? I need to get out there. I might need to go talk to someone. I need, might need to get out on a walk with someone, move my body, get out of my head kind of thing. So anxiety can both be helpful and hurtful, just like a frenemy. On one hand, it can propel us into action. It can tell us information. So if we're not feeling right, if we feel like we always have that adrenaline we feel like we have that nervous energy or our mind is just going a million miles an hour. That's a message. That's a clear message that we need to slow down and we need to think about what we might put into place to help us be more calm. On the other side of it, I never take anxiety lightly. And this is an area that I've special, that has been a specialty for me in my clinical work. And as I think about the military families that I've served in particular, that anxiety is so powerful and so detrimental. And what I've seen a lot of folks do, I, I'm thinking of a mom I worked with who was just amazing and her son had gone overseas and I just, you know, she was having panic attacks every day and she was just in a place of just utter despair and, and she was just so scared. And I think, again, she was going through that whole mental gymnastics of I'm not, I should be stronger. I have so much pride. I'm so proud, but yet I'm wrestling with all these emotions that are really hard And what we were able to do is look at how can we put things into place that are going to help you really almost sometimes just be in survival mode. Like what are the basic things you can put into place every day to help reduce that anxiety little by little until she was at a point where she felt she could then move to her other goals that she was putting into place. So it's a double-edged sword. Anxiety is very powerful. We can use it to bring us into action. But on the other hand, it can erode our, self, our self-confidence. And more than that, it can erode our, our well-being and our health. And those are things that we have to really pay attention to.
0: Very, very true. Very, very interesting, too, because I think so many times we want to um, uh, just dismiss it as opposed to facing it head-on, and that's where that adrenaline and that's where that Um, that frenemy comes in and sometimes gives us, the we're not recognizing it as strength. We're we're, uh, not realizing that we really can do it. Uh, And you are putting it in such good perspective for us to be able to take a look at that in in such a different way, Dr. Chris. We're with Dr. Kristen Lee Costa today. Um, She is known as America's stress and burnout doc, is an award-winning behavioral science professor and a clinician. And she is from Boston, in massachusetts and we will be with her right after this break here on military mom talk radio we've got lots more ahead stay with us on military mom talk radio
5: This is Uncommon Sense for Leaders, a forum for exploring leadership from the intellect, the heart, and the spirit. Whether you're a leader now or aspire to be a leader in the future, you owe it to yourself to learn about the big ideas that have shaped the careers of compelling communicators, masters of influence, and highly effective leaders. Uncommon Sense for Leaders. Tune in to hear thought-provoking ideas on every aspect of leadership. You can expect dynamic discussions with special guests, quick tips you can apply immediately for better results, and the tools you need to take you from where you are to where you want to be as a leader. Are you ready to crack the code for achieving unprecedented results? Then join the host for Uncommon Sense for Leaders, Catherine Carlisi, every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on the All Business Radio Network.
2: Information about book publishing is power. The power to change your authoring life and yes, called in with your questions each week. For more on Judith and what she can do for you, check out her website, thebookshepherd.com. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific.
0: We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. Welcome back, everyone. This is Robin Boyd for Sandra Beck, and we are visiting today with Dr. Chris, Dr. Kristen Lee Costa from... um, the behavioral excuse me i started to say just say from boston massachusetts but that's not really what i wanted to say she's lead faculty for behavioral sciences at northeastern university and we're so pleased to have her here today because we're talking about stress and how we can give ourselves sort of a second chance giving just getting um into the mindset that we can sort of be easy on ourselves we don't have to um be so hard on ourselves as far as feeling the guilt. And doesn't every mother have that mother guilt? We all feel if we're not going to do it do it right and do it immediately and do it successfully and make everybody happy, then we're carrying that guilt around all day long that we haven't done our job completely. And um, so many times I think we uh, have to sort of give ourselves that freedom, that that permission to... Maybe prioritize, and this is the thing that we 're going to do today, and there are other things that aren't going to happen today and As our children get a little bit uh, older, we have to say, "No, today we aren't going to be able to do this, but we can do it another time or whatever and just being able to do that, I suppose gives our children the way to prioritize and be able to set their paces, if you will, um, and maybe that is a good thing is Am I on the right track, Dr. Chris? I love how you just put that Robin and really self-care
3: is about a lot of different things, but you nailed it. It's about setting boundaries and prioritizing. And you could think about this type of self-care as conscious self-care. It's deliberate. It's intentional. And you're right. If you're a parent, you're modeling that behavior for the children in your life, whatever ages or stages they may be in. And ultimately, There's just so much that we're juggling every day, and there's only so much time, even with daylight savings time, which (laughs) just (laughs) happened. But we really have to think about what do we need to happen each day that's part of our self-care regimen. In a way, I like to think about this is what is it that we need to do to put our mask on first, rather than running around? It's so easy to do. We have long listed demands, but if we're able to thoughtfully engage in that conscious self-care. That's really about putting our masks on first, making sure that we've got these different things infused in our day. And one thing that I think is so interesting, Robin, is that if you look at the data across the U.S. in terms of unpaid vacation and unused vacation and what we're doing in terms of just stopping, most of us don't even take our lunch break. And I know that I'm guilty of this just as much where I don't even sit down at the end of the day. It's run, 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 and then I just kind of collapse into bed on most days. Yet I've learned as, as not only a professional who specializes in burnout and anxiety, but I've learned the hard way when I've sort of taken that bait on those cultural messages that say we've got to do it all. I've kind of felt guilty myself or I've really wanted to be very present with my family but also with my career that there's times I've pushed the line, you know, towed the line myself, and that's also such, that's embedded in my reset model that I, again, use in my classroom, that I use in my therapy room, but I have to use it every day as well because otherwise there's too many things that can just make me swerve and not be in the place I want to be.
0: I, I no, We can't always be prepared, but it's nice to think that at least we can set um, our day sort of at least on a track that we know that we're going to accomplish at least one thing (laughs) that's on our to-do list. Um, If you put 19 things on your to-do list, I think you're shooting for the moon. It's not going to happen. But um, at least if we have uh, a couple of things that we know that we can accomplish somehow – That's just satisfaction. It makes us feel, okay, we did what we had set out to do. But I want to back up a little bit because when we were talking, uh, referring to burnout, I want to talk a little bit about children um, in that I have uh, been in early ed. I have been a Girl Scout leader, and I'm now Girl Scout staff. There are so many times I think that our kids are so overcommitted, and, and I'm, and I don't mean to, to take heat for this, but there are the the dance classes, the music lessons, the, the scout meetings, the, the, the youth group, other youth group things in all of the, the sports. Where do we finally have to say to our kids, and are we setting them up for failure by letting them do it all?
3: It's funny that you bring this up. I've been thinking about it over the Halloween weekend, and I just wrote a a little piece on the Huffington Post that talks about kind of wanting to go back to the 1980s version of Halloween. And, you know, that was really about just thinking about the standards of today. And we've got Pinterest in our face all the time. We've got all these activities. You know, it's not enough to be on one sports team often is the case that the kids end up being on multiple teams and playing more than one instrument and running and running. I think the adults are running with their work and family demands, and then, as you suggest, our kids are doing the same. And it definitely comes with a price. Again, there's this wonder of all this that's that's terrific, you know, to be engaged and just thinking about the Girl Scouts, what they do, and, and Boy Scouts and these community organizations and youth groups, Those are very positive things to be involved in, and sports can be extremely positive. However, we have taken it to a level in which I think people are running so frantic that they do become depleted. And then, again, the self-care, the conscious self-care gets bumped down to the bottom of the list, and sometimes it falls off the list. And I think that's what we have to challenge ourselves around. This culture is so hyper-competitive, you know, think about even the difference between kindergarten of today versus, you know, mm-hmm. the expectations on our students all the way through the pipeline and the continuum all the way to higher ed. And one of my students put it like this, Rob, and he said, it feels like we're doing some crazy hoop jumping. And I think we are. We're jumping through all kinds of hoops. But as you suggest, we do have to take a moment and say, what is this about? Is this about... You know, is this really healthy for us? Is this productive? Is this just about trying to keep up? And the other thing I think we have to be thoughtful about for ourselves and anyone that we're caring for or in touch with in our lives is to know what our own thresholds and gauges are. Some of us are a little bit hyperactive. Myself, I'm very hyperactive. I tend to do best when I have a lot going. That I tend to thrive, and I get, I get, I like a lot of stimulation, a lot of excitement, a lot of activity. And if I don't have enough, I find that I lose my motivation and I lose my adrenaline. However, if I go too far with it, then I get to the point where I'm overstimulated and my mind is just too hyper and too wired to a point where it's not necessarily healthy. So I think we have to think there isn't sort of this one-size-fits-all formula for any of us, but we have to be thoughtful about what our bodies are telling us, what seems logical it's one thing sometimes if you have certain times of year where you're cranking, so to speak, but there's other times where we have to pull back and retreat. And I think that our our schedule and our culture just isn't building that in in a way that really helps support our resilience and well-being.
0: It's interesting. I guess it is true. I mean, if any mom who has had more than one child will definitely attest that right from day one one baby is going to be very different than the other. And we do have to sort of identify where we – I probably couldn't keep up with your pace, but yet um, maybe my pace is completely different from somebody else's. And um, finding that – I guess identifying what we're capable of and what we can handle – earlier than later is a good thing and maybe that's where modeling for our kids is a good thing that we're going to help them identify where where their um, safe zones are I guess you could say where their safe path is um, so that when something does throw them for a loop they will have uh, a little bit more strength to be able to to face it you wrote recently about stress and distress I'd love to talk about that Absolutely. And I
3: liked how we conversed a little bit about anxiety as as a frenemy. And in a similar fashion, use stress is, is a part of stress that can be very useful. So sometimes it's called good stress. And ultimately we can see evidence of this in people who perform, let's say dancers who perform on stage or someone that gives a speech or an athlete. And again, just kind of the excitement of getting into work or getting into our responsibilities. We need a measure of stress called eustress to help us take ourselves to task and to have the adrenaline that we need to get accomplished what we're setting out to do. And that's the adrenaline or the juice that comes with eustress that can be very powerful and helpful. It gets us to be focused. It helps us to perform. It helps us to be on. On the other hand, distress, just as it sounds, is the part that becomes disruptive, and it can get in the way of our well-being. And that's the type of stress where, again, we're flooded with difficult emotions. Sometimes that influences not only our thinking but our behavior. And that's the point where, again, sometimes our bodies cry uncle and say, what are you doing to me here? I need to recalibrate and reset and regroup. And distress over time if we're not careful and we're not engaging in conscious self-care can lead to those feelings of depletion and burnout and oftentimes depression as well. So we have to really, again, pay attention to those different components of stress and know that there's really great aspects that we can leverage, but there's also the side of it that we have to pay attention to and understand. And why this is important, one of the reasons it's important is that sometimes when we get all juiced up and we're nerved up, we think that it's all bad and that we just have to squash it or we have to run away from it altogether. But what we need to know when we say make the most of our stress, that's the the part of my book title, is that we can use those moments and that they will help us. And it's the self-talk. That we engage in in those moments that matter. If we're saying, oh, no, I'm stressed out. This is bad. I'm going to mess up this speech or I'm going to mess up this project. It's not going to help. But if we say, oh, wow, I'm noticing this feeling. What do I need to do to kind of regroup and then harness it and use it in a helpful way?
0: That sounds wonderful to be able to know that the, that it's possible and that we all have the power to make it happen. Dr. Kristen Lee Costa, we will uh, be taking another short break. We're going to be back with Dr. Costa on the other side of the break. Uh, if you've missed any of this episode or any of our over 200 episodes, you can always find them on iTunes. You can find them at our website, militarymomtalkradio.com or right here on the Toganet Network station. We have a show page there has all of our podcasts do listen and uh, download them anytime you like we will be back in a moment with dr chris right after these messages we've got lots more ahead stay with us on military mom talk radio
2: information about book publishing is power the power to change your authoring life and the power to change the lives of your readers so join us for your guide to book publishing everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host dr judith briles thursdays at 6 p.m eastern 3 pacific you'll hear about statistics scenarios and strategies on what to do now as the book shepherd dr judith riles is in and each week she will include publishing professionals that will reveal tips and secrets to the author's journey if there is a book in you you want to listen learn and yes call in with your questions each week for more on judith and what she can do for you check out her website thebookshepherd.com it's your guide to book publishing everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd with your host, Dr. Judith Briles. Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific.
0: We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. Well, welcome back, everyone. We're so glad that you're with us. This is Robin Boyd for Sandra Beck, and we are with Dr. Kristen Lee Costa today. Um, She is an award-winning behavioral science professor. She's a clinician, and she is an author, author of Reset, Make the Most of Your Stress. And you can find that not only at her website, ResetYourStress.com, but you can also find it at Amazon, and I know you'll want to get a copy of it because... Her perspective and her theories and her um, practical approaches have something for everybody. And if you feel um, that you have got to just sit down and regroup and reset and get that do-over, I suggest you get her book um, and visit her website. Dr. Chris, we were talking about... um, Getting to the point where sometimes we just have had too much, maybe we've just overstimulated, we've had too many things come at us. There's sometimes the day that we think that we're on top of it all, and then somebody just says, gee, you, you know, your hair kind of sticking up funny in the back or whatever, and that sets us off and we go into a rage. Many of us have had rage. The kids have sent us, uh, uh, maybe it's the children who have just hit us the wrong way that day and we blow up at the kids. We blow up at our husband or our husbands blow up at us. Um, where, where can we get to the, when we get to that point, it's so hard to come back from an anger episode and, and how do we start recovering from that? It's something that people ask
3: me constantly and I've just seen over the years and working with so many people who, again, are dealing with all this stress. And as you said, the anger is going to be a natural response. We're going to just have those snap moments where everything comes crashing down. And those are moments where we can feel incredibly guilty, incredibly ashamed of our behavior. And what we need to do is what's easy to do is just just pretend it didn't happen or just to move forward but we have to go back and evaluate maybe what was what were the precursors what were the things that were happening what was adding fuel to the fire and that's really back to what we were talking about earlier around perspective taking you know what's happening for me right now where do i need to buy time to regroup is there just so much on my plate that this is almost a recipe for disaster and this is bound to happen? And it's easy to be upset with ourselves. I think a lot of times when we have these outbursts or these rageful moments that you describe, it's horrifying. We feel terrible when that happens, and it's really not productive to anyone's well-being. It's not helpful for our relationships. It's It, it tends to not really be that productive. What's really important is to say, Again, why might this have happened? Am I dealing with extraordinary difficult circumstances? Are my anxiety levels just way off the charts right now? And ultimately, it all goes back to the model of self-care. You know, what is it that I'm pouring in so that I'm not at that snapping point? I'm not at that breaking point. I'm not at that point where it's just so much easier to yell or respond maladaptively than it would be to respond in a healthy, adaptive way.
0: Let's talk a little bit about those um, practical strategies because I I know that it's very difficult to um, get through an anger episode. It's very difficult. Maybe we've just had a fight with our spouse or our spouse is having difficulty. But we have to know how to take care of ourselves. And there again, when you're in the airplane, um, the first thing that they tell you is put the air mask on you instead of your child because you have to take care of you first before you can uh, be able to take care of those around you. Um, I, I think it's so difficult for us to remember that. We're not, we're sort of not programmed to take care of us first. But that's really where it starts, isn't it? You're absolutely
3: right, Robin, and a lot of times people think of self-care as selfish or that idea of putting their mask on first. It seems so counterintuitive, like how could I even do that? But what we know from the research and we know from evidence-based practice is that that deliberate conscious self-care adds up, and it helps prevent those moments of whether it's yelling or, you know, Crying or just those messy moments that we all know happen that are hard to deal with. And when we think about this mask on first notion, I love to think about it in a way like this, like it's a before, during, and after process of self-care that, again, it's not just about reacting, but it's about on the front end saying, okay, these are the things I'm doing. I know I'm going through a very challenging phase in my life these are the stressors, this is the distress at hand, and these are the things I'm going to engage in to help me not get from that zero to 60 quite so quickly. And we've been talking a lot about perspective taking and sort of realizing what's contributing to our stress bottom line. And in the RESET model, RESET is actually an acronym, and in each letter stands for a different aspect of self-care. So the E we've talked about the R, which is realized, the E is energized. So when we think about dealing with anger or other dark emotions, there's nothing like a good walk. There's nothing like a good sweat. There's nothing like a good night's sleep. All of those things that energize our bodies actually also really affect our emotional health bottom line as well. The S in reset stands for soothe. So think of sensory overload. We have to really mitigate all the things that come at us, our our phones beeping all the time, all this information coming at us. It might be just difficult things in our environments. And we have to anchor ourselves down through our senses. So it might be that we have just take, you know, we take the time to actually taste our coffee in the morning or we breathe in the air. We look at the sunset or we, you know, snuggle up in our favorite blanket We have to think from a sensory level that we're trying to calm ourselves and we're trying to take care of ourselves. And then the last two are the E and the T. The E is the N, unproductive thinking. We talked about that earlier. When we get stuck and we're kind of marinating in our thoughts and we're marinating in distress, we need to instead engage in activities that are productive, that are helpful, that take our mind off things, that help expand our knowledge, that help us develop as human beings. It helps us not constantly just be focused on the negative or the really difficult things at hand. We have to take breaks from that, even if we're dealing with really complex loss or trauma or hard things. Taking a break and actually engaging in productive thoughts and and mantras are really great in this way. What, What can we say to ourselves in these moments of despair to help us get through? And then finally, last but not least, is talk it out. And we talked about this at the beginning of the program How do we forge meaningful relationships, develop connections, debrief what we're experiencing in our mind, talk about these emotions? When we know we're not the only ones, it goes a long way, and we really have to have that type of community around us and not be isolated when we're trying to engage in self-care. Self-care isn't just a solo, individual endeavor. It's really something we do in community. and We spur each other on. We encourage each other. We pick each other up when we're down. It's not just a matter of individual will. It's something that we have to really support one another in because life is so demanding, and it's so difficult, and it's so easy to fall off course
0: given all the variables that we constantly face. And that isn't that so true. So many variables, um, and I, I guess that there's there are days that we think that we can um, we're not going to find that uh, way to energize or soothe. But I suppose if we at least try one of them <laughs> the the acronym has five letters <laughs> we're going to try and at least get maybe two or three of them and then somehow i bet the rest of it will just follow in <laughs> well
3: and that, and that's the beauty of it is that research shows us that when it comes to instituting new habits right we know that when we try something out it gives us a little bit of momentum it gives us more grounding and more energy and then we realize hey, I got this, I can do this. These simple things are adding up and they're making a big difference for me. And that's why Reset, is I'm so excited about it. And like I said, I not only teach it to my students in my classroom, I have a lot of veteran students, a lot of military family students. And then, like I said, in my, in my clinical world, it's exciting to see people say, you know what, just going and taking a 30-minute walk each day has made a huge difference. Or subbing out my soda for water has really helped. Or taking 10 minutes of yoga each day in between my hectic list of demands has helped. And, and that's the beauty of it. They're building blocks. And, and I've seen that overwhelmingly, again, in my own life, and my own self-care process. But so many that I've served, that those little things add up over time. And they give us the energy and the impetus to make even bigger changes. I think that's the hard thing in any self-help conversation. A lot of the stuff out there is just so difficult. It's so psychobabble, you know, it's like, how do I make sense of this? How do I put this into play? You don't understand what I'm going through. And with Reset, I really took that 20 years of experience, all those stories I hold in my heart and mind to develop this model and to make something that is not just really strong with the research and strong with clinical evidence-based practices. But it's practical, we even just the word reset," we can hear it and say, ah, "I got a reset today," and that might help, but they're things that are easy to follow, and they're not prescriptive and In each chapter of the book, I lay out that plan of how you could put it into place one step at a time and and how you can you know really develop momentum through those small, very
0: intentional changes over time. I love it, Dr. Chris. Realize, energize, soothe, end unproductive thinking, and talk it out. Reset. Make the most of your stress. Doctor Chris, we are so fortunate to have had this opportunity. Kristen Lee Costa, um, I, I hope everybody visits your website. Reset your stress com uh, go to amazon or the website and you can find her book reset make the most of your stress and it's true we we have it we might as well find the best way to make it our frenemy and make sure that it uh, it gives us the impetus and the momentum to make something good down the road uh, from something that we thought was was going to get the best of us dr chris thanks for being with us
3: My pleasure, Robin. Take great
0: care. Thank you. You too. Um, I hope all of you find her articles on Huffington Post. She's also a contributor for Psychology Today. Um, Much of her work has been featured on NPR and CBS Radio. And, of course, uh, as I said, ResetYourStress.com. Lots of good reading. I do hope all of you are well today. This is a beautiful day in New England. So uh, we're sharing this beautiful weather with all of you. Uh, And we're hoping that you're all having a, a wonderful day and take the time to reset and take the time to find that way to make sure your day is the best day. We'll be back next week with another great guest. Sandra Beck has got her car. We were talking about it, and she's gone, and she got her car. That's one less stress in Sandra's life. Take care, everyone.